0: Good morning, everyone. How are you? Well, good. Uh, Let me just say, um, just by way of starting, so I didn't grow up in church at all. And I suspect there are people here that probably have no, um, you know, maybe early childhood memory of going to church or whatever. So um, I remember when I went to church and they were kind of a loud church, maybe like us a little bit. They clapped a little bit and they shouted occasionally. And I remember thinking it was so strange to me. Like, in my mind, church is always sort of this real sort of reverent, kind of quiet, somber place. Um, and I know different denominations have different sort of sensings on what, you know, public worship is supposed to look like. But I want you to know, if you're visiting here at Renaissance, if you're attending Renaissance, we're probably on the scale of the louder church. Amen? And, and not loudness for loudness sake, whatever. We've, there's enough of those churches in the world. Gross, Right. We, we we try this is my prayer for us and it's been my prayer for the last couple months is that we would have an encounter an experience with God that would just talk to us in such a way just encounter us in such a way meet with us in such a way that we can't help but just th- say things like thank you Lord we praise you Lord and what we recommend is you do all of that during the worship time so when I'm talking you don't interrupt me I'm just saying <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. We don't want that stuff while I'm talking. Maybe you do. I don't know. We don't care. I just want you to know if you're visiting here and you're wondering, like you feel like you want to not shout, but you just feel like you want to say yes. Amen. Yes. Or whatever. Like I agree with that. That's what amen means. I agree. I agree. You can. You're, you're you're welcome to this. Welcome to Renaissance. That's what we do here. So anyways, well, um, good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and it is Palm Sunday. Yes. It's exciting. Now, uh, again, not having grown up in the church, I did not really have an understanding of what Palm Sunday was. I remember going to the church when I became a Christian. Um, they would The church would put little palm fronds out on the chairs. Does anyone have a, a memory of that kind of church? And then the kids would grab them and they'd wave them around and some old lady loses an eye because someone wasn't paying attention. This whole thing was happening. And it's uh, Palm Sunday. It's just a holiday. It's a holiday that we celebrate in the church. We celebrate it here at Renaissance. And uh, there's a couple of other holidays. There's uh, Christmas. You guys heard of that one. That's a big holiday for us as well. The birth of Jesus. And then Easter. We're going to celebrate Easter next week. There are other holidays that we see in the world around us. We don't typically get in the um, we don't mess around with those. You guys heard of Mother's Day and Father's Day and Independence Day and all that stuff. I think they're real holidays, just not holidays in the church. Someone say amen? Ooh, cold room, cold room. <laughs> cool. You're supposed to say amen to that because <laughs> I don't do that here. We don't like it. Whatever. So anyways, Palm Sunday. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. Palm Sunday is a holiday that we celebrate the church. And it, it really talks about this moment that happened some 2,000 years ago when Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he was, the three and a half years of his ministry was, was culminating or climaxing, and he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and we're going to talk about what that is. And, and the people, um, basically, they gathered palm fronds from the trees around them, and they began to wave them in this sort of exaltation and jubilee, and they began to act very much like a, a charismatic church, and they began to cry out to him and to praise him as Jesus rode by. But you have to understand the backstory and why the people were so excited to have Jesus coming into the city know this, God's people living there in the in Palestine, or what was the, it was now the promised land or whatever, they were uh, Jewish people, God's own people, and they were living under a king named Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas, you might remember his father, Herod the Great, was not a very good man. In, in fact, he was a wicked and cruel man like his father. If you know the story of Jesus' birth, Jesus was born, the wise men or the magi come from the east, and they go to the king, and they say, hey, we've heard another king's been born, and we, we would like you, to To tell us where he is so we can go worship him. And Herod the Great said, Me too. If you find out where he is, I would like to come, quote, worship him as well. And by worship him, he means kill him. And this king tried to kill Jesus as an infant. And if you know the story, Jesus' parents escaped down to Egypt for a while and saved Jesus' life. Herod the Great dies, his son takes over, and he's not much better as a king. He's their Jewish king, if you will, but he's placed there by the Roman government. He's a puppet king, so to speak, and he's just placed there to just keep peace in the area. Real authority comes from Rome in Italy, and God's people desire to be liberated from this oppressor Rome. They want what we call autonomy. They want what we call in America freedom to do their things, what they want to do. And with the, the sort of boot of Rome on their throats, they can't do everything they want to do. And so they're desiring a king to come and rescue them. And it's not an unusual desire because if you know the Old Testament scriptures, which they did, they knew that the prophets of old promised, prophesied that one day God would send a king, a Messiah, we call him, a chosen one, an anointed one to come and rescue his people from their oppressors. Jesus is at the top of the hill Mount of Olives we call it and he's with his disciples and he's about to make his way down into Jerusalem and before he leaves he tells his disciples, would you go into the city and find for me a colt, a young male donkey and bring it back for me and the disciples are like, sure. And so they go into the city and they find exactly what Jesus asked them to find, a young male donkey tied up. And so they go to boost this donkey from this, this house, right? GTA moment here. And, and the owners of the donkey come out and they say, excuse me, what are you doing with my donkey? And they just said these words, the Lord needs it. And they said, you can take it. So Jesus takes this donkey, he sits upon it. And I want to read um, a passage from Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. And again, this is a prophet from the Old Testament writing some 500 years before this moment on first Palm Sunday, before this takes place. This is what the prophet Zechariah said. And he says this, "'Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion.'" Shout aloud, rather, O daughter of Jerusalem. Pause right here. Again, this is another biblical precedent for why we can get loud in church. Say amen. That's okay, because they did, it's fine. And, and this prophet says, this is what God is doing. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The foal just means young donkey. Colt meaning male. I mean, this prophecy from 500 years before, Jesus is fulfilling. And some might think that Jesus knows this, and that's why he asked for the donkey. Maybe, I don't care, it don't matter to me. Just know this, Jesus sits on said donkey and begins to ride into Jerusalem. And when he does so, the people just explode in praise. But you have to know this, that this king that they're waiting for and longing for that will liberate them from Rome, is not <laughs> the king that's riding in on this donkey. They have actually missed it a little bit. This is not the king that the crowd is expecting, and it's, it's not even the king that the disciples were expecting. They were expecting a conquering king who would come and defeat Rome, and Jesus is not going to be that king for them. I want to read a couple passages out of the New Testament. John chapter 12, verse 13. John 12, 13. This is the apostle John writing. He says these words, So when Jesus came into town, they took palm branches, they meaning the crowds, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So this is where we get the idea for Palm Sunday. So it's a Sunday, Jesus is riding into the city and they're taking these palm branches and waving them around and decrying Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Praise the king of Israel. Luke 19 says this, and as Jesus rode along, people began to spread their cloaks on the road. Almost, I picture my mind like laying out the red carpet, if you will, for Jesus. And as he was drawing near, coming down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, Paul's right there, the whole multitude of his disciples, right? So the people that Jesus had called as apprentices, his closest friends, and all of the other people, the crowds that were following Jesus, all of them began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. All of the miracles and the signs and the wonders that Jesus had performed, they are rejoicing over them. Verse 38, and they say, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Oh my goodness, if we could have been there, the people are energized. They're giving Jesus this parade fit for a king, shouting praises for everyone to hear, even themselves to hear. And one of the people shouting there was a man named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And I want to spend some time talking about Peter. For me, Peter's this personification of humanity, if you will. And you'll see this as the story plays out. But Peter represents maybe you and I in this story. Now, how does Peter get to this place where he's standing on the side of a road, waving palm branches, you know, pretty undignified to look, I think, of a look. Anyways, uh, three and a half years previously, Peter, Peter's brother, Andrew, had met Jesus. Andrew comes home to where Peter is and says something like this. He says, hey, big bro, we've, we've found him. And Peter's like, who is him? He's like, we have found the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament prophets are talking about. We, we saw him, we know him. Peter, you need to come see him. And Peter goes and and meets Jesus and has an encounter with him. A a relationship is sort of kindled. And and at one point, Jesus leans into Peter and, and asks this question. He says, do you want to follow me? Do you want to leave all of this behind? So Peter was a fisherman. He was in business with his brother Andrew and a couple other disciples, John and James. There's no quiz. You don't have to write this stuff down. But anyways, he's in a, he's in a business, a fishing business. And, and Jesus says, Will you come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Peter leaves everything behind to follow after Jesus. And he believes that Jesus is, too, is the king. He is the Messiah that the Old Testament talks about. And for three, three and a half years, he follows Jesus and sees Jesus perform miracles and signs and wonders. And if you're wondering why the Bible calls Jesus' miracles, signs and wonders, because a signpost or a sign leads you to a place. If you ever drive on the interstate and it says, if you want to get off at Iliopolis, I don't know why you would, but if you wanted to, you turn here where the sign is. Or Saragordo. Gordo. Anyone? Anyone? Running joke. Welcome to Renaissance. Anyways, but you follow the signs to get where you're headed. Jesus was performing miracles. The Bible calls them signs. They're clues. They're the one, they're pointing to someone. They're pointing to Jesus. And Peter saw these signs and wonders. He saw Jesus take a couple fish, a couple loaves of bread, and feed over 5,000 people in a single setting the miraculous multiplication of food before their very eyes. He saw Jesus raise from the dead Jairus' own daughter, the ruler of the synagogue, his daughter, young daughter had died, and and Jesus grabs her by the hand and raises her back to life. He sees Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He sees his own mother-in-law, who was sick and fevered, soon to die, and Jesus grabs her by the hand and raises her up. At one point, Peter, along with James and John, Was asked, invited by Jesus to go with him up to a a quiet place and pray. They go up on this little mountain, and, and before their very eyes, before Peter's very eyes, Jesus began to shine. I don't know how to explain it, like a light bulb had been turned on. Like through his very being, he began to glow, through his clothes, he became almost translucent and bright, and they're covering their eyes. And in this moment, a voice from heaven cries out, This is my son. I am pleased with him. And then he says, follow him. And Peter has experienced all of this. And he's decided to attach himself to Jesus and to follow him. And he does so. At one point, Jesus gathers the disciples around. And he asks them, who do the people say that I am? Like when you're out in the streets, at the markets, at the coffee shops, right? When you're out at those places, what are people saying about me? And some of the disciples said one thing. Some of the disciples said another thing. And then, then Peter stands up and almost with like a, a, an understanding that supersede, supersedes like human intelligence. He says words like this. He says, well, you are the Christ, it's just a Greek word that means Messiah. It's the same word, Hebrew, Greek, Messiah, Christ. It means anointed one, chosen one. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus is over, overcome by this. And he responds back to Peter. He says, dude, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Like you didn't come up with this on your own, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And then he says something, he says like, and, and this truth that you've just spoken about, me being the Christ, the son of God, this truth is so rock solid. I'm gonna build my, tr- my, my church on this thing. In fact, from this point forward, I'm gonna start calling you Peter, which means the rock. Peter's name was Simon before this moment. I didn't tell you that because I didn't wanna confuse you. But his now, he is now called Peter because he has a, a rock solid faith in what Jesus is going to do. He shows this immovable nature in his faith. And so Jesus calls him the rock. And so when Jesus begins to explain after he comes into the city on the donkey and he's ministering to his disciples for the next four or five days or so, before the eve of his arrest, he's spending time with his disciples. And during one of these exchanges, Jesus begins to explain to all of them that he is going to be arrested soon. And that he's going to be killed, but he will raise from the dead on the third day. And as he's telling this story to Peter, Peter says no to him. Think of the audacity. Think of the, the connection that Peter has with Jesus. And think of everything he knows Jesus to be. You're the son of God. You're the king. Come to rescue us from Rome. You're not going to get arrested and die. I will fight for you he says. I will stand up. We will conquer them together. And Jesus looks to Peter and he says, he says, you need to get get in tow, bro. He says, the idea that you have for me is not the idea that God has for me. You need to get behind me, Peter, and follow me. And he rebukes him. He continues to say over some conversations, in fact, there's gonna be a moment when, when I'm arrested, it's gonna be like the shepherd has been taken from the flock and the flock will, will scatter. And Peter just can't believe it. And Jesus looks at Peter and says these words. He says, in fact, Peter, the night that I'm arrested, <laughs> you'll, you'll deny me before the morning comes you you think you're so sold out to me right now by, by morning light, you will have denied me. And, and Peter just can't hear what, what Jesus is saying. And it happens exactly as Jesus predicted that they go off to pray together. And while they're praying, some soldiers show up and they ask, which one is Jesus? They grab Jesus and Peter grabs a sword. He's like, here we go. Let's fight this thing to the death. And Jesus tells him to put the sword down. What? And Peter's wondering what's happening. Jesus is thrown in the back of a cop car. I don't know if that's how it happened, but it, seems like, it feels like it. And there's bad boys, bad boys playing in the background. <laughs> and they lead Jesus away. And, and sure enough, all of the disciples scatter. The shepherd had been struck, the shepherd had been taken, and now the, the, the sheep flee. And Peter is alone. Jesus is alone in this. Jesus is taken to the, the house of the high priest, Annas. He's in his courtyard there. And uh, Peter's following along. There's like this mock religious trial that's happening under the cover of darkness in the middle of the night. And they're bringing witness after witness to try to falsely testify against Jesus that he's done something worthy of a crime, that they can condemn him to death. And nobody will do it until finally someone stands up and says that he said something about the temple, which which wasn't true. And they said, that's enough. They ripped their clothes, condemn him to die. He's gonna die. And all the while that this is happening, Peter's watching from afar. From a distance, he sees all of this. And as he's standing there, a young servant girl from the priest um, comes up to Peter and says, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? You guys know some of the story. And he just says, no, I'm not with him. And a, a little later, some other people come up to him and says, aren't you one of his followers? And he says, no, I don't know this guy. And then finally, as Peter is warming his hands around a fire, it says that some people heard him speaking. And his northern Galilean Galilean accent gave him up. And they said, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Because you sound an awful like a lot, him. And, and, and Peter reverts back to like the old fisherman that's inside of him and just cusses him out. He says, I don't know him. And when the sounds of mourning came, Jesus looks through window, sees Peter in the courtyard, and they make eye contact. And in this moment, Peter begins to realize and remember what Jesus had said before the morning light, before the rooster will crow, you will have denied me. And that begins to play like on repeat in his mind, and Peter begins to weep that he has denied Jesus. Peter's life was uh, what we might call fixed, secure. He was on what we would say the trajectory for greatness. He was one of Jesus' closest, probably, friends. There's Peter, James, and John were the top three of all the 12 disciples. So when Jesus was going to be crowned king, Peter for sure was going to have a cabinet post. He was going to have some cushy job in D.C., you know, running things. And he, it was all settled for him. He was a close disciple and a friend of this new king. But now, within less than 24 hours, as they were planning this new kingdom and what it was gonna look like, within 24 hours, Jesus has been condemned to die. It's over, they're saying. Our hope is gone. Our hope for deliverance from Rome is gone. Our hope for peace is gone. Everything has crumbled apart in such short order, it'll give you whiplash when you consider it. It happens so fast. And isn't that how it is for us? I mean, you know how it is, right? We are one phone call away from the doctor's office and our our world begins to shift and tremble. You are one impromptu meeting away from your supervisor at work, from, from having a different vocation tomorrow. Our, our lives seem so settled and secure until we find that one hidden text. You know what I'm talking about? The one that exposes the lies that have held together the last three years of your life. And in such short order, the whole thing falls apart. This is the moment that Peter's in he's coming in. Hosanna, praise him. The king is coming to save us from Rome. And now he's condemned to die. As Peter stands off in the distance, he hears the torture that Jesus is enduring. He hears the nails go through his his hands and his feet. And as he stands at a distance, he hears Jesus say these words, very famous words, you might know them, as Jesus was hoisted up on the cross on top of a hill for all the public to see, as he hangs there for about three hours, Jesus finally takes a deep breath and says these final words, it is finished. And you can almost hear Peter say from a distance, you're right, it is finished, this whole thing is finished. What, what, what am I going to do now? Like, I, I was known to be one of your, I can't just go back fishing, can I? Maybe I can go back fishing, but all the people in my town are going to ridicule me and mock me, certainly. Oh my gosh, I didn't think about this. But if the soldiers can get to Jesus, whom everybody loved, and condemn him to die, and kill him, how long will it take before they come and find me? It is finished, all right, he says. It is finished. All of my hopes were placed inside of you, and it is finished. A couple of weeks back, actually, it's been a couple months now, as we were pre- uh, prepping and praying for what Easter weekend might look like at uh, Renaissance, I, I settled on this idea that we were going to talk about Peter's denying of Jesus. And when I was thinking it through, I kept coming back to this conclusion that the reason Peter was denying Jesus was because his faith had failed him, right? His faith had failed him. And then in my studies, I ran across that passage where Jesus is having this exchange with Peter and he says something like this. He says, hey, Peter, I need you to know something. Are you listening? Satan wants you. The devil wants you. He's asked me if he can have you. He's asking me to give you up. But Peter, I have prayed for you. And I've prayed this, that your faith wouldn't fail. And I thought, so am I to believe that Peter denied Jesus because his faith failed him? And yet Jesus, our Lord and Savior, prayed that his faith wouldn't fail? Did Jesus' prayer not work for him? I can't can't go there in my mind. Maybe you can, I can't. And so I come to another conclusion. I don't think Peter denied Jesus because his faith failed. I think his faith was secure, but he had faith in who Jesus wasn't, not who he was. You see, Peter, along with all the other disciples, were expecting this king to write in, And to grab sword, and through shouting and bloodshed, they were going to take back Jerusalem first, and then the rest of Israel, and they would have their own autonomy and their freedom back. They were convinced Jesus was going to do that for them. And when he was dead on a cross and buried in a grave, the whole thing was was broken. And so Peter, I believe, had faith in that Jesus instead of the real Jesus, the one who's coming to conquer not the the great enemy of Rome, but the great enemy of what? Sin sin and death, and the grave, and to liberate all humanity, not just God's people, the Israelites, from this sin. So the idea is that Jesus, his faith in Jesus, was not um, weakened or, or failing, but in fact it was placed on the wrong thing. Which, which reminded me of an article I read, this is a sort of an excursus here, but it reminded me of an article I read in Christianity Today some years ago, Uh, An author, uh, Daniel Darling—that's a fun name. Daniel Darling (laughs) uh, wrote, and he says that in our world today, that people worship several different Jesuses. I don't that—that's a Jesus. I I don't know what the plural of Jesus is. That's the joke. Okay. So, um, but Daniel Darling writes that there are many false Jesuses that the world worships today, and some of these might resonate with you. And I bring these up because I feel like Peter was worshiping and had a connection to the wrong part of Jesus. And if he would have known who Jesus really was, then he would have heard Jesus say, I'm going to go into town and get arrested. I'm going to go in town and get killed. And I'm going to raise on the third day. Jesus told his disciples that repeatedly and Peter couldn't hear it. He had somehow like rolled his own faith in who he wanted Jesus to be in front of the the truth of who Jesus was. Like his own rock rolled in front of the tomb. He blocked out what the truth of Jesus was. It hid it from himself. One of these false Jesuses is Guru Jesus. You know Guru Jesus, right? He's the the kind of Eastern Jesus that, you know, it's all kinds of cool sayings and meditation and maybe incense, which I'm not opposed to. I think it smells good. But that guru Jesus is not the Jesus of scripture. There's the red letter Jesus, which if you don't know anything about red letter Jesus, he's the, if you know, if you read your New Testament, there are some translations that take the words of Jesus and write them in red so that you can quickly look through the New Testament gospels and other writings and see Jesus' words. And these red letter Jesus people only read Jesus writings and only the things he said, which limits who Jesus is <laughs> completely. That's not a full picture of who Jesus is. He's so much more than the few things that we have recorded in scripture. Someone say amen. Say amen. Yes. There's Braveheart Jesus. This is the one, this is the one that I think Peter has attached himself to the William Wallace of Jesus here. He's going to save them from Rome. There's Dr. Phil or Oprah Jesus. Pick your, that's a Jesus out there. There's prosperity, Jesus, that he's like a genie in a lamp. And if you do all the right things and rub him just the right way, he'll promise you all kinds of cool stuff. And if we attach ourselves to that Jesus, when life begins to shake, when the phone call comes or the text is revealed, then your life will shake, not unlike Peter's. And your faith won't fail either, but you have faith in the wrong Jesus. And that Jesus can't help you. So we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus is in a grave that he's going to raise on the third day. We know that in 40 years, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, the very pinnacle of the The place of worship for all the Jewish people. Within 40 years of this moment, the temple will have been destroyed, every stone turned over, the Jewish people will have been dispersed throughout the land. And in around 500 years from this point, the the Roman um, Empire will eventually fall to the Germans, I think, I don't know. Is that right, Joe? Eh, close enough. But not right now, in 500 years, it'll fall. But Peter and the other disciples, they don't know this. All they know is that Jesus is the king that they thought. He's been crucified and he's laying in a tomb. And earlier in the week when Jesus rode into the city, the people gathered their palm fronds and their cloaks and they waved them before Jesus as he rode into the city. And as Jesus is on the, on the eve of his arrest and crucifixion, he doesn't pick, he picks something up too, but he doesn't pick up palm fronds. He picks up this that Jesus picks up bread and he picks up wine and he begins to tell the disciples of who he really is. And he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says this is going to be my body broken for you and they're like yeah, whatever that means, sure. And he breaks it and he hands it to them and he says eat this. And he takes a cup this is the cup of my new covenant with you. It's a picture of his blood that's going to be spilled on a cross. In, within 12 hours, Jesus will be dead on a cross. And he says, this, this cup represents my blood spilled for you for the remission of sins. There can be no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. The Bible is clear on that. Jesus is going to offer his life as a sacrifice. And so, when everyone else wants to lift up and exalt palms and make Jesus be someone he wasn't supposed to be, he reminds them of who he really, really is. So, I'd like to take communion with you. Peel off that first layer as best you can. There's an incredibly tasteful wafer. We pay extra for the taste of these wafers. So you should enjoy them. And I want you to just take the, the the wafer. If you haven't already eaten it, it's fine. But I like sometimes just to put it in my hand and just picture Jesus breaking it, right? You break it and you hear it snap. And then you can take it and eat it. We can take the little cup of juice and drink it and remember Jesus' blood. I just want to encourage you to be a people not, not waving palm branches before Jesus, but, but, but lifting this up to remember who he was the palm branches point to something that he wasn't at least then he wasn't that. Then he, he is King. Yes. And amen. He is King, but he didn't come in the way they expected him. And so we want to be people who know who he is. And so every month we do this to remember what he's done for us. We're going to have the band come back out and we're going to do a new song. TJ wants to lead us in a new song. And I just want to say, um, we're intentionally ending today. It's going to feel like a little flat. It's going to intentionally feel just a little, it's not going to be like, Hey, we're so glad you've come. If you're visiting for the first time, stop by the welcome desk. We got a gift for you, blah, 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 blah. We ain't doing none of that today. Why? Because we're remembering that Jesus body lays dead in a tomb next week we're going to celebrate he has risen. He has risen indeed. Yes. Yes. Celebrate. Yes. But today we don't have that. Today we have Peter lost. Today we have John wondering what's happening. Today we have all the people confused what their future might hold. But today we look to the bread and the wine. And remember that Jesus has liberated us not from the the enemy that is Rome, but from the enemy that is sin, death and the grave. But they don't know that yet they don't know that yet. And so we settle here. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for our time. Thank you for Palm Sunday, that very first Palm Sunday. Thank you for today, as we can come together and and remember all of the great work that you have done for us. We too want to be loud and boisterous for you. And there will come a day for that, Lord. There'll come a day when we can to cry, for the world to hear that you are alive, that you have raised from the dead. But today we, we contemplate. Lord, would you tell me right now, have I attached my faith in somebody that's not you? Lord, am I asking you to be somebody like Peter, that you're not intended to be and I need to get in tow with you, that I need to follow you instead of asking you to go where I tell you to. God, would you reveal that to us? We want to be people who serve the true king, the real one. We don't want our lives to be shaken and, and turned a mess when, when bad things happen because we have real faith in the real Jesus. We want to know you, Lord. And so if we have believed in something that's not true by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you liberate us from that lie this morning? If we are forcing you to be somebody that you're not intended to be for us, would you, would you tell us? And maybe the best thing we can do is to just to clear our minds and to just worship Jesus like this song says. Just read the words. When TJ sings, just listen to the words and and pray them and believe them because they speak to the real Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, I love you guys. Uh, Don't forget, next week, he is risen. So Easter at Renaissance. Take care. for joining with us today we would love to pray for you and make a connection with you so please check out the church at home page at rendicator.org here you can ask questions request prayer find past messages and podcasts or support renaissance through online giving we can't wait to hear from you